Welcome to Gateway's podcast. We hope God speaks to you through this message from Pastor Don Brock. For more information about Gateway, please visit www.gatewaybc.com. We're still in our series and through the various books of Psalms. And in your notes today, you're going to see a different psalm that I'm actually going to be speaking out of. And uh, yesterday, I just sensed that I needed to change directions. So uh, we're going to be going into Psalm 145 today. And today, what I want to talk to you about is part of your part of your daily time with God really needs to include worship. And, and the Psalms say that we should come into his presence with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. That's worship. And worship is what fuels our relationship with Holy God. And it makes our relationship with God, it actually makes it more enjoyable. And uh, I, I really think, I really believe this, the only way that you truly will enjoy your prayer life is that worship becomes a part of it. And if you have a problem trying to pray for a while, maybe it's because you're not worshiping as part of your prayer time. And uh, you see, many people, they find God useful. You find God useful. And so you pray because you use him. But when you find God beautiful, that's when you really learn to love to pray. That's when your prayers tend to go from praying your want list to worshiping holy God. So how many of you are praying to God because he's useful to you? And somehow you've missed the whole beauty of who God is. Here, here's the difference. The difference is you, you work with somebody and you really don't like them, but you have to work with them. And you actually kind of make a good team together, but you don't like each other. So all of your conversation is about business or the project or whatever you're working on. And you just limit it to that. You never eat lunch together. You never socialize together. You just do business together. And then, but you would never want to hang out. And um, compare that to someone that you truly love then you don't have to have an agenda to be together. Um, as long as you're together, it doesn't matter what you're doing. You're just hanging out. In fact, sometimes you don't even, even need to have a conversation as long as you're just hanging out together. In college, I, I found that I saved myself a lot of drama and a lot of temptation when I dated girls only once. And that's what I did. You know, I saw somebody I wanted to date. I'd take them out. We'd have a great time. And I'd say, see you later. And uh, I never called them back. And I'm sure I got a bad reputation about that. Everybody's like, what is wrong with that guy? And, and I broke my rule one time. 
And I, uh, I started dating this girl and, and we, I dated her once and, and then I think she wanted to do something else and uh, whatever reason I decided to break my rule and we went out again and then we went out a couple more times and then it was kind of like, all right, I've got to write down things to talk about because I don't have, I don't even know what to talk about to this girl. And, and, uh, and finally, my, I was in, in my apartment with my roommates and the phone rang and they, they're into the conversation. They heard, oh, hey, what? Really? It's been a, been a whole week? And, uh, and then when I got off the phone, they were rolling in the floor because they knew what was going on on the other end of the phone. You haven't called me in a whole week. And, uh, and I, that's when I made one more phone call and uh, said, hey, I think, I think we need to end this. And, uh, and you know, I said, I'm not going to break my rule again. And so it just, you know, you had to, I had to make up stuff to even talk about because I just didn't like being with the person. So I didn't date anybody for six months. I kind of, I was done with dating. And, and I told God I was done with dating. And I said, you know what, God, I'll make a deal with you. The next girl I kiss, that's the girl I'm going to marry. So it's your job. You make sure I kiss the right person. <laughs> that's a dumb prayer. But I made sure I just didn't date anybody. I was scared to death because I, I, oh, I made a vow to God. <laughs> Be careful with this. And so I did not date anybody. And then I met Mary. And, you know, I fell in love. I didn't kiss her for a long time. And she, knew, she didn't know about that vow. And, uh, and she thought something was wrong with her. And then she started thinking something was wrong with me. And, and it was like... <laughs> I just, you know, I'm just going to, I'm not going to break this vow because I made a, I made a sincere vow to God, even if they, even if God thought it was stupid. And, um, but we didn't, we never had to come up with an agenda of what, the, you know, we just wanted to be together. We just wanted to hang out. And, and it's been that way ever since just being together, whether we had things to talk about or not, it's just being in each other's presence. Uh, that God, my relationship with God should even be more so that I see the beauty of God. I, you know, I see the beauty of Mary. I mean, I had the 12th graders at the lake house and I was showing them all the things that Mary had done and all the renovations that she had done. And uh, then we went up to Brasstown Falls, which is kind of dangerous. And I was kind of hesitant taking them because they had done nothing to make it a safe place. And uh, you have to just really be careful there. Well, the rangers had come in since it's in the national forest and they had built a bridge and they built all these steps and ladders and they made it extremely safe. And, um, and so we were walking about across the bridge and one of them said, hey, Don, did Mary build this? And uh, <laughs> I was sitting there laughing. I said, oh, well, she could have. But um, anyway, it's, it, we just want to be together because of the beauty. And that's the way God wants it to be between you and him, that you just see his beauty. Because he has put, he thinks you're beautiful because he created you. And he has put his image in you. So God thinks you're beautiful. And when you start seeing the beauty of God, then hanging out is not awkward. 
Many of you are socially awkward with God when you pray. I mean, it's kind of like, oh, Lord, we thank you, oh, God. Thank you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. Thank you, God, uh, for loving me. Thank you. Be, be with all the missionaries. And you've said God's name about 50 times, and, and you just kind of stumble through prayers that you think you ought to pray. And uh, thank you, God. Make me a good person. Let everything go well today. Amen. And it's just awkward. It's just awkward how you pray. And, well, I want us to look at what it looks like when we worship as we pray. And David shows that to us in Psalms 145. We're going to see what it looks like to worship when you pray. Verse 1. I will exalt you my God and King, and praise your name forever and ever. I will praise you every day. Yes, I will praise you forever. Now, jump down to verse 14. The Lord helps the fallen and lifts those bent, bent beneath their loads. The eyes of all who look to you in hope and you give them their food as they, as they need it. And when you open your hand, you satisfy the hunger and thirst of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in everything he does. This is, this is all worship. The Lord is righteous in everything that he does. He is filled with kindness. The Lord is close to all who call on him. Yes, to all who call on him in truth. He grants the desires of those who fear him. He hears their cries for help and he rescues them. Now, let's hang on for a moment. How many of you have been in a place where you felt that God was not very kind to you, that your prayers were not answered, or at least not the way you wanted them to be answered. I mean, you see the dilemma that this passage presents? See, David declares goodness of God to everywhere, to be everywhere, but sometimes when we look at our lives or at the world, we don't feel the goodness of God. And we have a hard time worshiping. Let's face it, some of you right now, you feel like God has abandoned you. Or at least your prayers aren't getting anywhere with him. And so you have a hard time worshiping. Now, it'd be easy for you to think, well, David, he lived in a different time. He had a great relationship with God. Everything was wonderful for him. And, and, uh, but I don't see the goodness of God all the time in my life. And I certainly don't see it in the world right now. Well, I want to tell you, this Psalm 145 is quite different for some of the other Psalms that David wrote. Uh, let's look at a couple of them. Psalms 88, beginning of verse 14. 
And some of you are going to start relating to these. Oh, Lord, why do you reject me? This is David praying to God. Why do you turn your face from me? I have been sick and close to death since my youth. I stand helpless and desperate before your terrors. Your fierce anger has overwhelmed me. Your terrors have paralyzed me. They swirl around me like floodwaters all day long. They have engulfed me completely. Now, some of you are sitting there going, I can relate to that. Psalms 42, uh, 44. Wake up, O Lord. Why do you sleep? Get up. Don't reject us forever. Why do you look the other way? Why do you ignore our suffering and our oppression? We collapse in the dust, laying face down in the dirt. Now, I want to tell you, these psalms that David wrote are not just rhetoric. He suffered real pain. You see, at one point, he was falsely accused by the king and he had to leave the country. Two of his sons were murdered. One of his daughters was raped. He had an infant son to die. He knew pain. Psalms 89. Lord, where is your unfailing love? You promised it to David with a faithful pledge. Consider, Lord, how your servants are disgraced. I carry in my heart the insults of so many people. Man, that's, that's a prayer coming from a wounded heart. One more, Psalms 39. This is, this is a gut-riching prayer right here. Leave me alone so I can smile again before I am gone and exist no more. Wow, these prayers sound extremely disrespectful. Very disrespectful. One of the things that I love about the Psalms is how real they are. They're just real, they're genuine. They're unfiltered. And, and these cries of desperation Many of you have been there. You know and understand these prayers. And at some point in your life, maybe you felt like praying, Lord, just leave me alone. Maybe you felt that. So my point is this. David understood what it meant to wonder where is God. He understood that. So in Psalms 145, when it's all praise, what has actually changed? Nothing. His circumstances had not changed. By the way, Psalms 145 marks a turning point from here on out. Even though he had recorded a lot of frustration with God from here on out, starting in this Psalms, the rest of them are nothing but praise. I mean, there's no indication that David's circumstances had changed. 
In fact, we know the history of David's life that the older he got, the harder it got. And it's not like David just went through a tough patch while he was, you know, in his educational years. And and he, he wrote some angry Psalms and then everything got better. So he was feeling encouraged and positive and he started writing good Psalms. That's not it at all. The circumstances had not changed. So is he being authentic when he says these things in Psalms 145? Does he just slap on a happy face? Does he paper over his pain? I mean, maybe that's the way you feel sometimes as a believer. All right, I got to get up and go to church and I got to pretend like everything's wonderful in my life, even though it's falling apart. I got to smile and act like I've got it all together, even though I don't. Don't you feel that way sometimes? In fact, some of you have gone through periods of time when you just stopped going to church and you said to yourself, I'm tired of acting like a fake. I feel like God doesn't care. I feel abandoned. I don't feel like he's hearing me. Many of you have felt that way. So what has happened here How can David worship in the midst of great pain? Well, that's a great question. And the answer is probably not not what you think. But it is satisfying and wonderful. What David finds and shares with us under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is not an explanation, but a revelation. Not answers, but a presence. The revelation of who God really is. The presence of holy God. That's what changed for David. You see, if God just showed up and made everything wonderful in your life, it'd be easy to praise him. But what do you do when he doesn't show up and change everything in your life? So here we go. Let's start with verse five. I will meditate on your majesty, your glorious splendor, your wonderful miracles. I will meditate. I'm going to worship these things that I know. Even though I might not experience it personally right now, I know these are still true. Your awe-inspiring deeds will be on every tongue. I will proclaim your greatness. Everyone will share the story of your wonderful goodness. They will sing with joy about your righteousness. So David grounds his worship in the deeds of God that he has seen or heard about. David here refers to our official acts and words of God in the Bible that David would have known about. For example, the story of Joseph. David knew that story. Joseph, his brothers were jealous of him. They sold him into slavery. David is bought by this man and 
eventually puts him in charge of the whole household and this man's wife, she just was infatuated with David and made a move on him. David rejected it and she couldn't have that. So she reported to her husband that David tried to rape her. And so David's, uh, Joseph, I'm sorry, Joseph was thrown into prison. And even in prison, he, he became the leader pretty quick and, and got things working and got things well and, and people took notice and he shared, he interpreted dreams of two people in the prison and they, all those dreams came true. They forgot about Joseph and finally Pharaoh had dreams he could not understand and nobody could interpret them. And he heard about Joseph and Joseph came and interpreted those dreams and the Pharaoh put Joseph second in command of all of Egypt, a foreigner in all of Egypt. And the end result is it saved Joseph's family and the nation of Israel. Wow. So David knew that story. And based on those deeds, what God had done, he chose to worship God. He knew the story of Sodom and Gomorrah and how God gave them every opportunity to repent and said, even if just a few righteous people were there, God would save them. David knew about the story of the prodigal son where you've got God longing over every lost sinner, or you know about that story, longing over every lost sinner and how the, a loving father ached over his son, his lost son. Or when Jesus says, not even a sparrow falls from the sky without my attention, without my knowledge. You know, you, you have all these stories. We have stories that David didn't even know about. There's one more, the greatest one of all, and that was the cross. See, what does the cross show you about God? <clears throat> First, it shows you that God's love for you is, you just cannot measure it. It cannot be measured. <clears throat> the picture of God's love given there is staggering. The fact that he would put on his only son your sins. God himself was asking through Jesus. Jesus was asking God to forgive the Roman soldier when he's thrusting that spear in him. The soldiers that were putting those nails in him. <clears throat> he was asking for their forgiveness. Unbelievable. And even this guilty thief next to him. He promised him heaven. The cross shows us that God takes the malicious acts of others and can use them for good. Think about it. If there were ever an act where evil seemed like it was in full control and the situation was totally out of control and God was nowhere to be found, it was at the cross. It seemed like Satan was winning. And yet it turns out that God was fully in control. 
And everything was done just as he planned. So what David does at this point in the Psalms, he makes a choice in spite of his life and what's going on. So let me read verse five again. I will, I choose to meditate on your majestic, glorious splendor and your wonderful miracles. God, in spite of what I'm going through right now, in spite of my pain, in spite of my frustration, in spite of my illness, in spite of my financial reversals, in spite of all of this, I choose to meditate on your majesty, your majestic, glorious splendor, splendor and your wonderful miracles. Verse six, your awe-inspiring deeds will be on every tongue, starting with mine. I will pro- proclaim your greatness. In other words, I will determine what God is like based on how God has revealed himself in scripture. I'm going to choose to believe in the greatness of God even when I may not see it in the moment. Verse three, great is the Lord. He is most worthy of praise. No one can measure his greatness. This means that he, I'm gonna see the world through God's eyes. So the first thing, there are three quick things I want us to see. Number one, God is always in loving control, even when you don't see it. God is always in control. Verse 17, the Lord is righteous in everything he does. He is filled with kindness. The Lord is close to all who call on him, even when you don't feel it. And yes, to all who call on him in truth, he grants the desires of those who fear him, but maybe not the way you, what you want him to do, but it's gonna be the way he wants it to be done, and that's always the better way. He hears their cries for help and rescues them. The Lord protects all those who love him, but he destroys the wicked. So David says, even when I cannot see it, God, I trust that you're close. I trust that you're close. And even when I cannot see it, I trust that you're in control. A lot of people think, if God is so powerful and all-loving, why does he not stop injustice? You see, God is all-powerful, but he's also all-wise. And he's in loving control, whether we see it or not. And either he's God to you or he's not, but he's God, whether you believe him or not. So the second thing is, God acts according to his great mercy. Verse eight, the Lord is merciful and compassionate, 
slow to get angry, and filled with unfailing love. The Lord is good to everyone. How can you say that? He sent his son Jesus to die for everyone. That's about as good as you can get. He showers compassion on all his creation. See, mercy is God not giving us what we deserve. Grace is him giving us what we don't deserve. So I'm thankful for God's mercy that I don't get what I deserved and what I've earned. And I'm thankful for his grace that he gives me what I don't deserve. God has withheld from us the judgment that we deserve. But he's given us goodness and blessings that we don't deserve. So David saw God's works. He saw that God had removed David's sins. I mean, David had a lot of reasons to be punished. But David chose to see the grace and mercy of God. And this is really important for you to realize. Because some of you right now are going through a hard time. You're going through a hard time. Maybe you're going through an illness, you lost your job, finances aren't what they need to be. God's not healing you the way you thought he would. God's not responding the way you thought he would. And maybe you're even asking God, are you just mad at me? God, is there something I've done wrong that you haven't, I don't know about? Don't I have enough faith? Do you not hear my prayers? You see, if you think you deserve God's anger, you start having a guilt complex. So you, you can't stop there. You can't say, I deserve God's anger, by the way, which you do. But because of God's grace and mercy, I'm not going to experience his anger, but instead I'm going to experience his love and forgiveness. Wow, that's a huge praise. It's kind of like if, you're, if you have a knife that's stuck into your chest, that's a good thing if it's being done by a surgeon who is going to go in and fix your heart and will save your life. Now, it's a bad thing if it's being done by somebody who wants to take your life out. Sometimes God lovingly sticks a knife in it, and it hurts. But he wants to get rid of that cancer in you that's destroying you. God allowed a lot of pain in David's life. God allows some pain in our lives so that we can see how great his mercy and grace really is. The third and last thing, God is always tender to us. When David looked at the face of God, he saw tenderness. Verse 14, the Lord helps the fallen and lifts those bent beneath their loads. The eyes of all, of all look to you in hope 
and give and you give them their food as they need it. When you open your hand, you satisfy the hunger and thirst of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in everything he does. He is filled with kindness. The Lord is close to all who call on him. Yes, to all who call on him in truth. That means you're honest with God. He already knows the truth. So be honest with him about it. He grants the desires of those who fear him. He hears their cries for help to rescue them. So when I go through a difficult time, which is quite often, I can look at the face of God and know that he cares. How do I know this? The cross shows me. I look to the cross. It shows me every time. You know, Jesus said, not a sparrow falls from the sky, but I think, but God, I feel like I'm falling from the sky. Do you care about me? But the cross shows me, yes, I do. There's a song we used to sing. If his eye, eye is on the sparrow, I know he is watching me. You see, when I feel wounded, I'm tempted to say, why? There's no explanation. But there's assurance that he was wounded for me. When I feel rejected, I know that Jesus was rejected for me. So we want explanation, but God instead gives us revelation. He reveals himself. We want answers, but instead God gives us his presence. We had one of our faithful church members, uh, John Roberts, and um, <clears throat> went with Israel with me. He and his wife Sally went to Israel with me um, the end of last year, somewhere in September, I think. And had a great time. He's been battling cancer, but he was doing great. <clears throat> and while we were in Israel, we were um, at Peter's house where Jesus stayed for a while. Um, and Jesus did a lot of healing in that place. And so we prayed for some healing for those who wanted it. And John asked for prayers, and we prayed for healing for him. We prayed that God would heal him of his cancer. Well, yesterday, God answered that prayer. Not the way we thought, but the way God thought. And God took him home to heaven. So he healed his cancer in a marvelous way. And he, he was ready. John was absolutely ready. I mean, he was just at church last week. But he was ready. And when Jesus called him home, he was ready. And I was talking to Sally yesterday, and she was ready. She, she, was, she was ready. And she knew exactly where he was. So... And I was talking to Sally yesterday. I said, you know what? 
It's amazing. If John had the opportunity to come back, I don't think he would. But he's waiting on the rest of us to get there to be with him. Because he's experiencing God in his absolute fullness. So yeah, God healed him, but not the way we were praying. He healed him in a far better way. God might not answer your prayers the way you want them to be answered, but when he does answer them, they're going to be in a far better way. And so the whole point, I think, of Psalms 145, in spite of what I'm going through, I worship holy God. So how do you worship? You meditate on the past works of God and his faithfulness. And then you worship to God that is revealed through those works. Worship, you see, is a statement that you make about the character of God. You believe in his works of the past. You worship him in your current situation. And then you trust him with your future. Now that's a prayer life. Let's pray together.